G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. You got lost, and you want to go back, but you can't find your way there. We're trying to get to that next place that gives us what we think we lost. Hi, and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. I love the celebration of Christmas time, and I get sad thinking about it being over, sometimes before it's even begun. Pastor Jeff explains this feeling of displacement that comes when we build our home or hopes on our next event or relationship, but we still feel unfulfilled by it. As terrible as physical homelessness is, it's nothing like spiritual homelessness, and the reality is most of the world lives in it. This is Today with Jeff Vines. The next Advent message is called The King Has Come. Turn, if you would, in your Bibles to John chapter 14, John 14. And uh, we're in a series, again, that we've called Now I See. And we're hoping that by going through Advent and explaining the themes of the Christmas season that have been celebrated for thousands of years, actually, a couple thousand, that we would get to know Jesus better. And getting to know Jesus better, we would know ourselves better. And getting to know ourselves better, we would know, really, all the good things we have in Christ. And so while you're turning to John 14, quick question for you. How many of you have ever been on vacation and somewhere in the middle of your vacation or nor the end, you'd say, man, I need a vacation for my vacation. Have you ever said that? Have you ever said, and you know, you know, part of the reason, no matter how good the place is that you go, there comes a time when you're tired. Of, isn't it amazing? You're just kind of, I mean, believe me, this past year, I got to make our first trip to Maui. Wow. That was outstanding. But you know, there came a time at the end of it, like, yeah, okay, I need, I'm tired. I need a vacation. I need to go home and sleep in my bed and where things are, where I know they are and where things operate under my control, right? There's something about home that's even better than a home away from home, right? Something about a place that we long for that fits us, that's There's no cultural uh, barriers, no language barriers. Uh, My dad, when I was smaller, he used to take me up to uh, the place where he grew up, a place called Hampton, uh, Tennessee. And the home that he grew up in wasn't there anymore. It had been torn down. And just the foundation was there and the smokehouse was there. And he would kind of reminisce. And my dad was really an introvert. He, He was a quiet type of guy until we disobeyed. And then he got a little verbal. Uh, and demonstrative as well. And so it was quite rare, or not rare, but it was, it was out of a character for him to take us up there um, and just walk us through this. And, and he would get really solemn. It's almost, almost as if he longed for a day when he was home again. What was strange about that is he didn't have a great childhood. They were poor. Uh, he dropped out of high school early to work to try to support the family. There were nine brothers and sisters, and he had a father who was physically abusive. And yet... I could tell that his demeanor changed. Now, when my dad died, all four of us, the Vines boys, in a tribute to my father, we got in the same car and we drove up to Hampton, Tennessee, which is about, I don't know, 30 minutes away from where we grew up. 
And we went up in the mountains and we all walked to that same property and talked about, and we, we found out that dad had taken each one of us up there at some point. And we started to share stories that were similar. And we all came to the conclusion that whatever happened there, dad still had a longing for what used to be. I had a, a cool experience yesterday. Uh, I was the commencement speaker at Hope University's graduation, and it just so happened to be the same time that both my son and daughter graduated and received their degrees. And so you can imagine, you can imagine how special that was for a father to give the commencement address at a university and to sit back on the stage as his children walk across and I'm able to stand up and hug them, tell them I'm proud of them, how special that was. As special as that was though, yeah, it's painful too because my home is changing now. And it's the reality that my kids are moving on, you know? Uh, some of you wish your kids would move on, but that's a, <laughs> that's a whole nother sermon. But for me, you know, I'm not gonna have Delaney going into the refrigerator anymore and five times a day. He's doing that at his own place. And my daughter is actually moving to Joplin, Missouri. Why anybody would, that's another story as well. <laughs> But she's moving there to work, uh, hopefully to, to work for Good News International Productions. And uh, her boyfriend that she's got quite attached to is going to start in uh, Ozark Christian College going into the ministry. And so, yeah, things are changing. My dog died. This doesn't sound like a country song all of a sudden, doesn't it? <laughs> my, my dog did die, though, uh, in August. You know, uh, Milo uh, went on to doggy heaven, if there is one. Uh, so things are changing. Home's changing. I want to belabor this just for a moment here because I want you to be honest with yourself and you know that there is something missing in your life and you, you want it back so badly. No matter how many good experiences you have in this world, you know down deep inside that there's still something not right. Even when you have a great marriage, you still want a love that your wife or husband can't give you. Even when you are successful at your job and, I don't know, you get a bonus, you get a rate, whatever, there's still something that's not quite right. Martin Heinegger, the German philosopher, theologian, said that modern people today are characterized as Leimhindlichkeit, which is a word that means you're living in a world that does not fit your deepest desires. You and I down deep inside know that this world does not fit us and we don't fit it that there's a beyond in you, that you just can't, it's like, it's like you took a walk one day, you got lost, and you wanna go back, but you can't find your way there. And so there's a feeling of exile and isolation the entire time that you live your life, starting from a very young age. Now the Bible's answer for that is Psalm 90, that God is our dwelling place, and he has been for generations. That is that we put our hope and trust in God and that's going to give us a fulfillment. But even, even that, and it is good, as we live on planet Earth, there, there's something missing. I'm telling you, and the things you do in your life, whether you'll ever admit it or not, or you're trying to get back to that place. And you're hoping that the next endeavor, the next job, the next relationship, you're hoping that whatever it is right over the corner will get you back to that place you've always ultimately wanted to be. The place you know that you once had, you can't put your finger on when it was, but you know maybe eternity past, whatever, but you had it and now you've lost it and there's nobody to spread the crumbs to show you the way back to it. But make no mistake about it. Most of your depression, anxiety, fear, the things that happen in your life is um, something is missing in your life and you know it. And what you try to do 
You try to set your tent and make your home a career or a relationship or whatever, but the problem is your soul can't bear the weight of that because no matter how much you kid yourself, your soul knows it's living for something temporary. And when it's living for something temporary, there's fear, anxiety, worry, doubt about everything that's temporary. And ultimately it destroys your soul. It kills you from the inside out. And we experience, let me handle kite, an exile. Now the thing about exile is that you know how it works. Uh, you, we shouldn't be surprised that because we decided to go our own way and away from God that we, we feel a certain sense of isolation because if a husband betrays a wife, what does she do? Usually kicks him out. He's exiled. He's put out of the circle. When you betray a friend, what happens? You're put out of the circle of friendship. You're exiled. And the Bible tries to give us the story of Israel that Israel's entire history is that it's home, then exile, home and exile, and it's associated with disobedience toward God. And you might be one of those persons that says, wait a minute, I know this Bible legend story. Adam and Eve rebelled against God, so they were kicked out of the garden. You're telling me I've been kicked out? I wasn't there. I wasn't Adam and Eve. And my point is, it doesn't matter. If you would have been there, you'd have done the same thing. How do I know? Because I know you today. And you still do it. Are you telling me there are not times in your life when you know to do the right thing, but you choose to do the wrong one? Yeah, of course. You're still rebelling against God. So am I. So are all of us. And that's why we live with a desperate sense of spiritual isolation. We know there's a fracture in the relationship. We know it because we know we don't obey God. We know we don't seek God the way we should. We know we don't do the things God asks us to do. We don't live for the purposes of God. We live for our own. We use God as a means to our end. It goes on and on. So we know with every sin that the relationship has been fractured. Therefore, there's isolation. Therefore, we don't feel like we're home. Therefore, we feel like we're lost. But we never take the time to stop and think about why do I feel this way? Why is there a sense of beyond in me that I can't put my finger on? No matter how much I proclaim against it, I know down deep inside something's wrong. Physical homeless, as bad as it is, and physical homeless is bad. Cold, dark. We had a guy here. We have a guy here in our church that's a friend of mine that spent years in prison. And he'll tell you that as bad as prison was, the three years of homelessness after he got out of prison, excruciating. And he recalls a time and a story when he was so cold and so wet because it, had, it was rain for days and days that he just sat down on a curb, I think in San Dimas somewhere, and just sat down on a curb, put his hands in it, and just began to weep. This guy had been in prison, this tough, rugged guy just began to cry because he couldn't get warm and he couldn't get dry. As terrible as physical homelessness is, it's nothing like spiritual homelessness. And the reality is most of the world lives in it. And that's why we're beating each other up trying to get ahead. Because we're trying to get to that next place that gives us what we think we lost. But we try to fill an eternal void with temporary means. And every time we get there and it doesn't fit, doesn't work, we die a little bit more inside. Today, the message is called, The King Has Come. And we're hearing about the hopelessness that comes from trying to fill an eternal hole with material or earthly things. You're saying this, Jeff, Pastor Jeff, thank you for that. Thank you for telling me I'm lost, I'm alone, I'm exiled, and there's no hope for me. I didn't say the last part. Because the Old Testament is rustling with the pages. This is Advent. The Christmas is the story of homecoming. Now, what I want to do is give you three quick snapshots. And I don't want you to be able to leave here without saying, okay, I got it now. Because here's another question. Here, okay, If we are exiled, and even if there is a home somewhere that we've lost, how do I know I get to go there? 
I mean, if I'm fractured and I'm messed up and I'm isolated and exiled and I still fail God even when I don't want to fail him, how do I know I'm going to get to go to that place you're talking about? Okay, let me give you three snapshots that I think is going to change the way you look at the world, the way you look at your life, the way you look at Christ, the way you look at Advent, the way you look at everything. Christmas, the whole ball of wax. The first is the Christmas scene. I want you to notice the first Christmas. Snapshot number one, take a picture. Guess what? If the Christmas story is about home, nobody was home at Christmas. Nobody. Think about it. Mary and Joseph weren't home. They're from Nazareth and they had to go to Bethlehem. They were ordered to go there because of a census. The wise men weren't home. Matter of fact, the Bible says they were a long, long way from home. They were from uh, far. That's a long way, man. <laughs> Shepherds left their sheep in the open field. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. You don't do that. You're responsible for the sheep. I don't know how that works. Did the angel say, you guys go visit the Christ child. We'll stay and watch the sheep. <laughs> They're not at home. In fact, during most of Jesus' life, he was homeless, born in a temporary shelter, and then the Son of Man, the Bible says, did not have a place to lay his head. In fact, I think we sentimentalize and sanitize the manger. Think about it. It's not nice. Somehow we tell the Christmas story as if to say, Mary and Joseph looked at each other. Isn't this great? It's so much better being out here among the cow feces than in the hotel in a nice warm bed. No, this, this is a horrible birth. Jesus was born in a, in a cave in a stable. He wasn't even born in a house. Mary gave birth in a stable. And this is after doors were slammed. This was after people said, no, can't stay here, can't stay here, can't stay here. And finally Mary says, what? Joseph, my water broke. <laughs> Why? Here? Right now? Yeah, you better go in that hole in the ground. And they go over to a cave, a barn, whatever. Amidst all the darkness. And she's 14 years old. 14 years old and she's having a baby. I mean, you got to cut the cord, all that stuff. It's not very sanitize. Pediatricians will tell you there's a lot of disease a baby like that could catch in a manger, in a cave, in a barn. Little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. Yeah, that's all true, but this is after blood, sweat, screaming, and no epidural, no rubber gloves. This is not sweet, this manger. It's tough, and it's rugged, and it's brutal. Do you know why? Dr. Tim Keller says this first Christmas is a symbol of the harshness of the world and the radical inhospitable attitude of the world toward our deepest, most intimate desires. The first Christmas is to remind you that what you truly need, the world's never going to give you. Never. Jesus was born homeless. He lived homeless, and then he went to the cross, and then he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And do you know why? Because Jesus isn't from this place, and God wanted to make sure you knew that. His home is not Nazareth. His life was about much more than carpentry. He's from another place. And this man came from another place, left his home in heaven so that you and I would never be homeless. Now, that means your entire life has been a setup. What do you mean? It's part of the plan of God for you to go through your life feeling that you lost a sense of somewhere because you did lose your home, not your physical home. You came from God. And there's something in you that knows you were once with him. And your body and your soul is trying to get back to him. But you're smart enough to know there's isolation and exile because of the sin and the brokenness in your life. And even in the times you try to deny it, it's still there. Now, let me give you the snapshot too. In Jesus' day, he was so intent on explaining this whole process to people that he told numerous stories about what we call 
an insula. An insula is simply the homes that people lived in in the times of Jesus, surrounded usually by four large stone walls. Then inside the insula were little dwelling places. Mom and dad would live in one, okay? Maybe grandpa and grandma in another. This is the extended family, much like Africa is still today. Maybe some aunts and uncles here. I don't know, maybe some grandchildren. But this was the insula. A family lives, family life, families lived within the insula, guarded by the doors. Now, in Jesus' time, a young man would be betrothed to a young girl somewhere around the age of 20, 21, and a young girl would get engaged somewhere around the age of 14, 15. I said engaged, not married, engaged. Now, here's how it would work. The young man would meet a beautiful young lady. He would fall in love. Somehow they would either meet or sometimes it was arranged. And then, after they had fallen in love, suddenly, he would offer the father of the girl, young girl, a price. And the phrase became popular, she was bought with a price. Now, Jesus is going to use that in his theological statements later. And after she was bought with a price, the young man and the father of the young man would go to the bride and would say this, I am going away to my father's insula, and I'm going to prepare a place for us. And I need you to wait here. And if I go away, I will certainly come back. Otherwise, I wouldn't say this. And if you will wait and be faithful and remain pure, then the time will come when I will come back and I will come back on a horse with a parade, with a shofar, a trumpet, and it will sound and I will collect you. You will be lifted up, hoisted up on the horse. We will have a parade and then I will take you back to my father's house in the insula and we will live in the place that my father and I have built for us and we will be happily ever after. Now, this is a day where there's no email, no text, no Facebook. So you're not Facebooking each other, texting. There's no communication whatsoever. And the groom-to-be would, would be intentional about his words. I will marry you. I will Build the place for you. I will. You can be certain. Come back for you. And I will take you to be where I also am. But wait. And keep yourself holy and pure. And I will return. Now you know where I'm going with this, don't you? In John 14, in my father's house are many mansions. In my father's insula are many houses. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going to prepare a place. And I've got plenty of them. All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. They shall live in my father's insula. And one day when it's ready, I will go and I will come back and get you. You see, in Jesus' day, the young man would say, Dad, can I go get her yet? Can I go get her? Is it time? No, son, wait, wait. There's still work to be done. But dad, dad, no, just wait. And then finally one day he'd say, all right, son, today's the day. Go get your bride. And he would go and get her. Jesus is saying, I am going to my father's house. There are many rooms. And then he says, in Revelation 21 and 22, there's going to be a parade. There's going to be a celebration. There's going to be dancing and singing. And we're told that he sees a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Wow, where do you think he got that language from? And then in verse 4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. I have heard my father-in-law on numerous occasions say this. He has said, much of the world sees only a hopeless end, but we see an endless hope. 
One day the father's going to say to the son, go get your bride, bring her home, bring her on home. The problem is, until then, I feel like the nativity on my mantle at home. Lost, isolated, a stranger in a foreign country. But here's the beauty of it. Christ will come to take you to that place that you know in your heart exists because you long for it and you are discontent because you were never meant to set your tent up here for eternity. But entrance into the Father's insula is exclusive. And we don't like that. We're people of inclusivity. Now think about this for a minute. On the one hand, please stay with me. We're putting these pieces together. On the one hand, okay, there's exile. <laughs> We're lost. We feel isolation. There's something not quite right. On the other hand, Jesus said, don't worry. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. It's, man, it's a done deal. I'm going to prepare a place. I got plenty of mansions in this house. And I'm going to come and get you so that you may be where I also am. But the problem is we know down deep inside, wait a minute. I thought we were exiled because we violated the promises of God because we've not gone the way of God. We've gone our own way and we still do it every day. So that's why in you there's a tension. There's a tension. Okay, I think I know the house exists, but I'm not sure to tell you the truth, Pastor Jeff, that I'm going. That's why I feel exiled and isolated. In fact, Isaiah, the Messianic prophecy, verse 10 says, only the redeemed will walk there and those the Lord has rescued will return. That's a Hebrew word for exile. Only those the Lord has rescued will come out of exile and bondage and come home. This is Today with Jeff Vines. We'll hear the rest of The King Has Come next time and we'll continue to be encouraged that our earthly residence is temporary. Jesus wants you to stop worrying that you're not going home because he became the scapegoat. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.